0: And we'll also read from Mark, chapter 15, verse 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour had come, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And that that ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and then we're going to read finally Galatians chapter four from verse four to eight but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we receive adoption as sons and because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying Abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God
1: We're beginning this new series in prayer, and um, I thought I'd tell you why why I've been asked to do this. Um, I'll give you some reasons why it's not to start with. Uh, It's not because I've got some super special technique on prayer, I've not got that. It's not because me and my family have it nailed. We've not got prayer nailed as a family. And it's not even because it's in my job description to pray for us, though it is. I'm pretty sure it's because Matt Lloyd is on holiday. That is to say, um, being asked to speak on prayer, uh, it's a humbling thing, isn't it? Because I, I, as I come to you this morning, as we open God's Word, uh, I've seen lots of, of um, uh, weakness in prayer and inadequacy. So this morning, as God's Word is preached, please know that I, I am preaching it to my own heart, to my own affections, to my own mind, uh, as much as I am to, to yours, so that my love for the Lord might grow so that my prayer life might uh, flourish. This morning, what we're planning on doing is is kind of taking a sweep of the biblical material before we take um, individual passages on prayer over the rest of the summer. Today, we're going to be thinking about what we learn about prayer in creation, in uh, in the fall, uh, in redemption and in the, the new creation. That's, that's how we're going we're to take it. That means there's lots that's not going to be said. Uh, but hopefully, as I've found, I've been greatly encouraged by this and challenged by this. I hope that together we will be encouraged and challenged. So as we begin, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as you teach us by your by your word, please, would we get to know you better? Please, would we, would we grow in love for you and enjoyment of you? And would you draw from us a response of faithful prayer? Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. Uh, so starting with creation, um, it probably isn't a surprise to many of you, there's not a lot of material on prayer in creation, as in the way things are supposed to be. There's only really two chapters in the whole Bible that are the way that things are supposed to be. And while there's not lots of material, I think that by looking at creation, we do discover what is the essence of prayer. And we discover that by looking at a verse like Genesis 3.8. God comes to to walk with Adam and Eve, to to converse with them, to relate to them, to talk with them, so that they might enjoy one another. That seems to be the, the normal habit of what they do. They're to have this vibrant, vivid, verbal relationship one with another. God fully knowing his people and fully loving them, and his people knowing him and loving him. That is a fitting purpose for their very existence, for the existence of humanity, to be image bearers of God and relate to him with this wonderful fellowship. I don't want to get bogged bogged down in this, but thinking about being image bearers is something we did earlier in the, in the year, right at the beginning of the academic year, we thought about being image bearers. And one of the things that we we saw from the Bible is that it's about having a, a relationship with God. He is relational in and of himself, and so are we. We are meant to, we are made to have fellowship with God. And for that to be a word-based fellowship. Uh, later in the uh, in, the t- in the term, in the summer, we're going to take a look at one of Jesus' prayers in John 17. But f- from that prayer, we discover extraordinary things about the inner life of God. We find that the Father has for all eternity glorified the Son, and that he's for all eternity loved the Son. He's been pouring that out. And he has given the Son words. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been in an eternal, glorious, loving conversation. That is what their relationship is like. The Father talking to the Son. The Father and the Son in love speaking to the Spirit. And we are to have our life modeled on theirs. We come from it and we are to be modeled on theirs. We are to have a loving, word-based relationship with God. It's what we're made for. Humanity was made to have an any time, any place, any topic, conversation with God, a vibrant, vivid, verbal communion with the Lord and source of all life, fully known and fully loved, and knowing and loving in return. Again, John 17, chapter 3, says this. This is eternal life. This is what we're made for. This is the aim. That you would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That, how are we meant to know them? Well, the way that they always make themselves known. The way that God always makes himself known by his word. That is how we are to know him. And so from creation here's the the definition of Christian prayer of true prayer uh, that I think we see. Christian prayer is verbal is a verbal fellowship with the personal God who makes himself known by his word. I know that's very wordy. I know that's got a lot of things in it, but I think it's true and we're going to we're going to work from it. Christian prayer is a verbal fellowship with the personal God who makes himself known by his word. And here are two big implications that come from that. Here's the first one. Prayer is essentially relational, not transactional. Prayer is essentially relational, not transactional. So that means there are prayer, prayer isn't primarily about confession. Prayer isn't primarily about earning favor with God. Prayer isn't about getting stuff. Prayer is about knowing and enjoying God. That's what prayer is all about. It's our verbal side of faithful fellowship with God. That's what prayer is. It's our our verbal, our wordy side of faithful fellowship with God. There are all sorts of other things that involve fellowship with God, following him, obeying him, uh, listening to his word. But that's what prayer is. It's our verbal side of faithful fellowship with God. And, And that's why John Calvin, when he explained what prayer is, called it the chief exercise of faith. Prayer is the chief, the primary exercise of faith because it is how we exercise our personal relationship with God. Prayer is how we exercise our personal relationship with God. To the extent that prayerlessness, well, prayerlessness is practical atheism. Prayerlessness is is a marriage in which no one talks, is a a friendship where there's only silence. It's a broken relationship. But prayer is essentially relational. That's what God calls us to do. That's why it is the chief exercise of faith. Here's the second implication of Christian prayer being a verbal fellowship with a personal God. Prayer is essentially word-based. It is essentially word-based. I don't know about you, but through my Christian life, I've had this sneaking suspicion at times that there might be a better way to pray. There might be a a more supernatural, a more spiritual, a more special way of praying than just, you know, speaking to God in my head. But there isn't. Just be really clear. There isn't something more special, more spiritual, more supernatural than speaking to God out loud in your head listening to him as he speaks to you in his word, and then responding with prayer. There isn't something better. There's no shortcut to intimacy with God. There isn't anything more supernatural than that. Let me just start to drill down on that. From God's side, that has to be true. Because words are how God has chosen to relate. He's freely chosen to relate with words. It's how he relates in and of himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are conversing, talking with words. It's how he chooses to relate to us. It's how he chose to relate to Adam and Eve. Go forth and multiply. Don't eat that. It's how he freely chooses. And it's how he continues to freely choose to relate to us today in his word, the Bible. God has chosen to relate through his word. Therefore, God, as in the God of the universe, as in the supernatural being. He has chosen his word. Therefore, there is nothing more special than nothing more supernatural than that and how we treat god's words is in the end how we treat him we know this to be true don't we so if 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 one of us was to walk into a room full of people and we say hi good morning and just silence is what responds to us the people aren't just rejecting the sound waves are they You know that they'd be rejecting you because your words and you are inextricably woven together. Same with God. God has spoken into the universe, He has revealed Himself fully and finally and wonderfully into the world. So if we say, Oh, I could just move beyond those words, that's not special, that's not spiritual, that's satanic. The person that moves beyond God's Word in the Bible is its not a servant of God, it's Satan. That's from God's side, it's normal, regular, word-braced prayer, is, is the best, that's from God's side. But also, just to, just to go from the human side, there are, there are other sorts of prayers out there that people might encourage you to get involved with. You might, you might have seen... Um, <coughs> Uh, sort of Eastern prayer or, or more ecstatic experiential prayer. But when you get under the bonnet on those things, when you really look at what they're, what they're doing, they're not great at all. They're, at, they're, they're actually far less wonderful than you could, you could imagine. Eastern prayer that uses things like mantras, repeated, repeated words, or, or sounds like Buddhist prayer bowls, or even special sorts of breathing, Their goal, their end game, isn't to get you to relate rightly, personally with the divine. No, 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 no. It's to get you to disappear. Their end goal is to make the individual disappear so that they would be absorbed into the great oneness of the universe. That's the point of the repeated words and the sounds and the breathing. It's actually to push out everything about words and their meaning and individual reality. That's its purpose. It isn't to create vibrant, vivid, wonderful relationship, God, with his people. It is to obliterate individuals. It is to end relationship, personal relationship with the divine. An ecstatic experiential prayer, you might have seen it uh, maybe at some Christian festivals or in some some churches or or just actually in in all sorts of other world religions. You've seen the the Sufi Muslims whirring round, the trances, the spiritual experiences. Those things are, are fundamentally not supernatural, but natural. That's why they occur everywhere, without God at all. They're brought about not by God's action, they're brought about by human action. They're not special, they're not more spiritual, they're not supernatural at all, they are merely humans worrying in God's direction. There is nothing more special, more spiritual, more supernatural than God directed, word-based prayer. Let's take a look at the fall. Let's move on from creation uh, to the fall. The fall is where things went wrong, where sin entered the world, where Satan as a snake came with other words. Words that defamed God, deceived people, disordered everything and destroyed fellowship between God and man. Uh, he came with words that said, oh, you can have what you want now. God's not good. The result was that our, that humanity's time, any place, any subject, original, righteous relationship with God was broken. Our unfettered fellowship with him was destroyed. Our access was denied, and we were driven from the garden and driven from God's presence. As humanity listened to these words that went beyond God's word, they reached out to say, I want your stuff, and I don't care about you. That is why prayer is so hard. Because our relationship with God has been broken. If prayer is essentially relational, then the fact that our relationship with God has by nature been broken, no wonder we find it hard. I'm sure you, like me, have found yourself knowing that the right thing to do in this moment is to pray, and five minutes later you find yourself not praying and not having prayed and being astonished at that. I know that i meant to pray. And yet somehow our our kind of fleshly, natural desires bend us away from that. Because we're not any longer in the relationship we're meant to be in by nature. Another thing that makes prayer so hard is that our desires have been disordered. So that when we pray, actually our whole premise of prayer gets twisted out of shape. Since the fall, the whole premise of prayer, the end goal for which prayer is prayed, is twisted out of shape. Everyone prays. If you look at human history, every culture all around the world, people are praying, people have always prayed. They know there's a God. Even today in our Western culture, loads of atheists and agnostics pray. But for what end? And I would suggest that what happens is that our desires have been twisted out of shape, so we, des- we pray to get stuff. We go, do you know what will make me happy? We-, we decide it's X, Y, or Z. It's relationships, finances, health, the dealing with this trouble or that trouble. And so we think, how can I get that? I know, I'll go to God to get it. So the end goal of our prayer is getting a thing, not God, do you see? It's as if I'm hungry, and I want a snack, so I think I'll have some Doritos, so I go to a vending machine to get the Doritos. I don't care about the vending machine, the vending machine is just a means to getting Doritos. That's often how we now use prayer. He's just, prayer has become a means to an ends. In fact, God has become a means to an ends, a way for us simply to reach out to grab God's stuff. It's actually just another way of sinning at that point, to not care about God, but just to go after his things. That's why prayer is hard. Our relationship is broken and our desires are distorted. But can I tell you that there is something else extraordinary that we discover after the fall? When you look at at the Bible and, and the story that is told, you see, God had every right, didn't he? once humanity had rebelled against him to to figuratively screw up the paper ball and throw it into the waste paper basket and say, I'm done with that. He had every right to have done that, but he didn't, did he? Immediately, he starts speaking again, speaking to his people, making promises, keeping the relationship open. He responds with grace. Genesis 3.15, he promises to produce a serpent crusher. And he continues to make these promises so that people, God's people, cry out to him on the basis of his word. Genesis chapter 4, they cry out to the name of the Lord, seeking him to save. And he continues and continues to make a way. He promises to Abraham that he'll, he'll bless the nations through him. The people, God's people, pray in response to that when they're stuck in Egypt and God rescues them out of Egypt. What for? What for? Well, To meet with him, to talk to him, so that he might give them his words and that they might worship him. He gives them the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. He gives them the sacrificial system so that they might be cleansed, so they can come to him. He gives them priests to mediate for them. He gives them a temple of his presence, which is meant to be a a house of prayer for all the nations. He's so patient. He's so good. He wants their relationship, Israel's relationship with him, to be so good that all the nations around the world would see it and flock to speak to him, to enjoy the relationship they were made for. And when Israel don't, what does he do? He keeps speaking. He sends prophet after prophet. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Nahum, Obadiah. He keeps speaking. It's grace upon grace upon grace. This is one of the things that struck me extraordinarily this week. I wonder how many times you've thought in your life, I'm not sure God really wants me to talk to him right now. Or you feel that, you have that whisper in your heart that keeps you from praying. Does he really want me to talk to him? Please let the whole story of the Bible speak to you. Yes, he does. He has gone to the very ends of the earth. He has patiently again and again gone to his people to seek them to come back so that we might know him. He longs for us to pray. He longs for you and me to pray, not in perfection. They weren't perfect, yet he longed for them and made a way for them to pray. Now we come to redemption, the difference Jesus makes, which in a sense is just the the next step Step on that story, isn't it? God going to the ends of the earth to enable his people to be in right relationship with him. But before we get to the difference Jesus makes, let's just take a look at Jesus and how he prayed. The perfect man, by the way, the perfect human, the model that we are meant to follow, the image that we are being remade into. And that's why I had Mark... Chapter 1, 35 to 39, read. Let's just think about what's happened in his ministry up to this point. He's got baptized. The Father has spoken to him. He said, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He, he, goes, he goes from there into the wilderness. He comes back. He starts proclaiming the gospel of salvation to the world, a gospel of repentance. He gets his disciples together to start doing ministry. He then starts healing people all over the place. The crowds are coming. He heals the blind, the, uh, uh, the, the leprous, the demon possessed. He's healing all sorts of people. And then what does he do? Verse 35. He wakes up early and goes away to pray. He doesn't just hide in a corner in the room. He goes away to pray. He makes a huge priority of prayer. His disciples don't have any idea where he is. They say, everyone's looking for you. Kind of, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be with them? But Jesus makes the supreme priority of his life, it seems to me, prayer. He couldn't have anything more important and busy to do, could he? He has people who, who need to be healed, who need to be able to walk. He has, he has the message of salvation to be given to the world. He is, in fact, living out the salvation of the world so that all people might be saved. There couldn't be anything more important pressing in on his time, could there? And yet, what does he do? Pray. He's the one who's perfectly indwelt by the Spirit with all of his fullness. He has a perfect relationship with God the Father. He's not got any issues with sin or anything like that, and yet what does he do? Prays. Nothing gets in his way when it comes to praying. And yet, so often, my excuse for not praying is I'm busy, I've got a sermon to write ridiculous and yet so often the things that keep us from praying aren't even you know we've got aren't even the most important things in our life they're just oh i wonder what bbc sports says or scrolling on some other social media thing something else that's just wasting our time than the thing that is most important another half hour in bed i was delighted this week as as some people came to the prayer meeting and They could only be there for half an hour. So they were there for half an hour. I was rejoicing. But so often, we think that there are more important things to do than be at the prayer meeting. Again, just speaking to myself, have I ever taken any annual leave to pray? Or do I think my annual leave is too important to do that with? What could be more important? For Jesus, it was the supreme priority. For us, it must be the supreme priority. Another thing to notice about his prayer life is the constant content. The constant content of Jesus' prayer in every prayer, bar one, I think, is Father. Our Father. Heavenly Father, Holy Father, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. His prayer is saturated in the nature of his relationship with the Father. Whatever he's praying, it is always done in the context of the relationship with his Father. I take it that as he's praying all the time, and particularly here, he's, he's drawing upon that relationship. God the Father has just said to him, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. It's as if as he goes away to pray, he's drawing on that. He's enjoying it, drawing upon it, living in the light of it. And so as he he prays for salvation, for glory, for unity, for perseverance, for help for others, it's all done. It's all done out of that relationship with the Father. That relationship is the engine of all of his ministry, of all of his life. Being poured, the love of the Father being poured into him is the thing that enables him, I take it, to pour out himself for others. Just to say, in the previous point, you might've thought that I was saying, don't pray for things and stuff. I'm not saying we don't pray for those things. Of course, Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. But it's not the, the purpose of our prayers, the end goal of our prayers isn't those things. The end goal of our prayers is relationship with God. If we pray thinking the purpose is to get stuff, to have a serious problem, situation changed, and God doesn't change the situation, we'll get bitter and angry and frustrated. Because that just might not be God's will. But if we are praying to God, sharing our whole life with him, living in the light of his loving, heavenly, fatherly care, then as things, as we go through trials and seek him to change the situation, and he doesn't, we continue to walk through the situation with him. He enables us to live and do the next right thing. He enables us to... He enables us in the midst of the difficulty to know that we are known and loved and that this difficulty does not change the reality of our status with him. It enables us to continue to pour ourselves out and be poured out because he speaks infinite love to us like he did to his own son. How do we move How do we move from having this worldly stuff-orientated human prayer, fallen prayer, to Jesus's prayer, to praying like Jesus did with God as Father? And I think the answer to that is the one prayer that Jesus didn't call his Father, Father. Mark 15, Nailed to a cross outside the city walls, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took He took our place. Jesus' fellowship with the Father was broken so that ours might be mended. Jesus had all of God's wrath poured out upon him so that we might have all of God's love poured out upon us. Jesus was oppressed by all of our sin and its consequences so that we might go free. He is the great high priest, gave himself as the sacrifice so that he might mediate to us a relationship with his father. We are joined to him. So that we might have an any time, any place, any prayer relationship with God. That is how it happens. And I think that's what Galatians 4, as Paul explains what is going on, I think that is what we're seeing. He explains what Jesus did when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, truly human, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Daddy, Father. That is what we become. We're given Jesus' spirit so that we can enjoy the same relationship he has with the Father. Uh, Since I was a kid, I have loved the story of the railway children. I've loved it. It just gets me every time. And I'm sure many of you will know that the the moment. What's what's happened is that family have been split apart. The father is is at a great distance from the family. And the, the children are agonized over this. They don't understand why. And they've been agonized over it over years and years. And the eldest daughter, Bobby, gets told basically to go to the station where they've hung out, the train station where they've hung out many times on one particular day. And as she gets to the station... A train pulls in, there's steam everywhere. A lady walks past with chickens. It's always stuck in my head. Someone else comes past. And then out of the steam, this man emerges. And her heart explodes with love. And she cries out, Daddy, my daddy. And she flings her arms around his neck. Oh. That is what we are given as the Spirit of Jesus is poured into our hearts, that we might look to God and see him as he really is for us. Daddy, my daddy. Many of us haven't had great daddies, but he is the perfect one. The perfect one that knows us and loves us unendingly that speaks the same words that he spoke to Jesus. You are my children whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. In recent years, having had a child, I have just begun to think, I wonder what the dad felt like in that moment as his daughter threw her arms around his neck. Oh, his heart must have just, he must, And that is only the tiniest thing compared to what our heavenly father thinks about us. He is only loving and he looks upon us as true children of him and delights in us. You see, that is what our prayer life is really about. That is what it's about. It is about knowing that is how he feels and thinks, that is who we truly are. It is about enjoying that relationship with him, searing it onto our hearts and minds and wills, conforming our lives to that reality that in Christ, God loves us infinitely. Do you think for a moment that God could stop loving Jesus? Do you think that the Father will ever stop listening to Jesus? Of course you don't. Do you think that the Father delights in him? Yeah. It's true of you too. In Christ it is true of you too. Finally and very briefly, let's take a look at the new creation. Uh, By the end of by the end of the Bible, we're given this picture of what the new creation will be like. Uh, it, is, it is absolutely unfettered relationship between God and his people. Uh, there's, there's not actually any need for a temple because God is so present to his people. We're there in a, in a garden city. It's like Eden, but, but made complete. We will have a perfect, unhindered relationship with the God of the universe, the source of all life and love. It will be pure delight. We will have no sin. Our desires will be perfectly conformed. God, God thinks all of this, all the veil of tears that we exist in, every difficult thing that's ever happened through human history, that this is so good for you and me and him, that it's worth it. So, if your heart isn't immediately moved by this as our future reality, please can I encourage you, it is so worth it. It is going to be so good. It is going to be so good. That is what our future looks like. It will be perfect relationship with Him. But here's the, just, just to land on. This has begun. We don't experience it completely yet. We will not be without sin until we get to that final glorious day. But we do have access to the Father now. The Spirit dwells in us. God could not be any closer to us. He lives in you if you are trusting Jesus. You are already part of this new creation. And the Spirit of God will help you even in your weakness when you don't know what to pray to pray. So let's start enjoying what he's given us and secondly in christ we are already in the heavenlies christ is now seated at the right hand of the father and you are by his spirit joined to him you live there too that means you have access to the god of the universe why would we ever not go there when we need to and he will listen because he loves you because you're his child, he delights in you. And so let us, let us enjoy our relationship with the Father. More than anything else, let us pray to enjoy him. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, just want to stop and delight in what you think of us in your son that as you look at us now you are delighted with us that you love us that nothing can separate us from your love lord please would you stir our hearts to respond by faith in prayer lord please would we would we get to know you more deeply by your word and would we would we share ourselves more deeply with you in prayer Lord, you have made it abundantly clear that you want to know us fully and love us fully. Lord, please would we enjoy that as we, as we pray on our own, with our families, together as a family at church. Lord, please grow us in, in prayer and in knowledge
0: and love for you. Amen.